Welcome to the Echo Church Podcast. Echo is a group of people in Cincinnati, Ohio, who love Jesus, love hanging out, and are navigating the ups and downs of our faith together. We're glad you're here. have a happy place. Is there a place you consider that space you go to to just rest that brings you joy? Sometimes these change over the years or you may not realize it at first. And I've come to figure out mine in the past few years because every time I go into Eden Park, just up the street here, half mile from my house, I cannot help, I'm compelled to go to the Twin Lakes area. If you guys know Eden Park, it's the, the, one of the overviews of the river. And it has a little playground there, and that's where I like to go. And so every time I'm there, even if I'm like taking a jog, I'm like, don't do it, don't do it, don't do it. And what do I do? I pull out my phone, and I take a picture of the river. I'm like, I have so many pictures of the river in every season, every color, whether the river is muddy or whether it's blue-looking-ish, whether it's flooded, whether there's trees or not. So can I show you a couple uh, so first, if you're standing at the overlook and you look left, this is your view. There's left. And that you can see some great parts of Kentucky swirling around there. Now look to your right, and you can see, you can see the yellow bridge from here. Other beautiful parts of Kentucky. I wave to Sam and Bellevue when I am standing there. And then the next one is not from that overlook. It's a little bit further into East Walnut Hills. But I love the colors these days. And the day I found that was kind of near the Ukraine uh, invasion when that began. So this was a very prayerful blue and yellow that it gave me. Now, not everything, you know, they're my memories. It's for me. But I did like this one. Uh, I don't have many showstoppers. But this final one, I was pretty excited about. In the summer of 2020, I hopped in my car to go to the grocery store. It had just rained. Then the sun came out, and I thought, Something has to be happening. And I swerved into the park, pulled, parked, and hopped out and snapped that. And I will be forever excited about the rainbow there. So this is the joy that this space brings to me. But I often find that there's a time of communion with God. I, I, I tend to just wander along and have deeper thoughts if I take the headphones out of my ears and just stand by the river it's a very t a nice time of communion with God. The river feels like life to me, breath, peace. Now, this is just my perspective. I'm in one little spot in one park in one city. But the Ohio River is 981 miles long. So people probably have other feelings about it in other places. There's six different states that either borders or flows through. Ohio, Kentucky, Indiana, Illinois, Pennsylvania, and West Virginia. There's more than 25 million people living along the riverbanks. That's 10% of the U.S. population. This river can mean a lot to a lot of people. For 5 million of us, the Ohio River is our water source. And so people do joke about it, but there's a lot of work put into making sure it's clean and protecting that. And if you see this photo of the barges, which I just think get in my way of pretty pictures, actually... There's transport. There's a lot of, of goods that are, that are transported between states along the river. So for those people, I feel like the Ohio River is probably 
work for them, you know? And there's 20 dams along the river. I feel like the engineers that keep that up, probably, yeah, they're thinking of the river as work, not as much peace, like I feel. And a few hundred years ago, this river was a visible border between oppression and freedom. So back in the day when slavery existed, people lived in Kentucky and would look at the possibility. And there was a border separating them, this river. It could mean the hope of life, freedom, if they could only make it across. But a courageous swim did not guarantee immediate freedom. It wasn't until Ohio passed a law in 1841 that automatically made any slave free once they hit the state. And even then, there was regulations imposed on their lives, so they had to decide, is that true freedom? For people who escaped Cincinnati, into Cincinnati, there was a great possibility they would be hunted down by people trying to get a reward from southern slave masters to bring them back. And if you made that trek back across the river, then the river felt like death. There's a lot of feelings about this one river. And today, in our Exodus study, we're going to look at some feelings about a river. It's going to be life for the Egyptians, yet it probably brought a lot of memories of death and oppression for the Israelites. And today, we're zeroing in on this as we begin the first three of the ten plagues. Last week, we talked about that Yahweh has been saying, I'm bringing about justice and freedom for my people, and the time is at hand. And yet, he still gives a bit of grace because he's giving Pharaoh ten more chances to let the people go by his own volition. Now, we call these the ten plagues, but they're they're ten redeeming chances. They are ten signs and wonders, God called them. But while we think of plagues as like a disease, they weren't all diseases. So we could also say the verb could mean strike. Ten strikes to really get your attention here. So we are going to read the first three. Uh, we did have a graph showing that they are in sections of three, which is why we're going to do them in sets of three. And you'll notice the first in each of the three sections that it happens in the morning, that Moses and Aaron are told to go meet Pharaoh. He's going to be by the waters, which most likely is the Nile. And then the Lord also presents to them that I'm doing this so that you will know that I am the Lord, your God. But you is plural, so it's y'all, which is a good biblical concept, and also one of my favorite words. Y'all will know, we all will know about the Lord God, Egyptians and Israelites alike. So we're going to try to see what are the Israelites seeing from these signs and wonders, and what do the Egyptians need to learn from these. So let's begin in Exodus 7, verses 14 through 18, and I'll read for us. Now occasionally when we see the word Lord in all caps, I'm going to throw in Yahweh, because that is what the translation is. And we've been talking about using God's name because that is the way God introduced himself to the people. So Yahweh said to Moses, Pharaoh's heart is unyielding. He refuses to let the people go. Go to Pharaoh in the morning as he goes out to the river. Confront him on the bank of the Nile and take in your hand the staff that was changed into a snake. Then say to him, the Lord, the God of the Hebrews, has sent me 
to say to you, let my people go so they may worship me in the wilderness. But until now, you have not listened. This is what the Lord says. By this, you will know that I am Yahweh. With the staff that is in my hand, I will strike the water of the Nile, and it will be changed into blood. The fish in the Nile will die, the river will stink, and the Egyptians will not be able to drink its water. Now, just as we have talked about the Ohio River, the Nile, probably an even greater identifier for the people of Egypt. It, it was everything to them. It was their source of water. It was the way that the land was fertile at all. And in fact, while our river flooding tends to be a little dangerous for some people, they wanted the Nile to flood because during that season, it's when the land would be renewed and there was a cycle of flooding and then back, the waters drew back. But that was the way the people had land to use and to grow food in. So everything was about this river. And in fact, the Egyptians had several different river gods. I uh, found these cool photos of the actual Nile today. But Hopi is the Egyptian god of the Nile River flooding. Not just like river, but he is the actual one who's supposed to bring about the flooding of the river because that was the important piece. And if we can imagine Pharaoh standing by the water, he's probably not the guy that goes and gets his daily water. He's probably got some people for that. If he is by the water, he might be actually worshiping Hopi at this moment. And that is when Moses and Aaron go and speak to him. So if there's a strike against the water, what does Yahweh want to communicate to Pharaoh and to many of the Egyptians? Is that Yahweh is in control of the waters. This is the life, and he can also control when it is death. I will be who I will be is Yahweh's name, and he has control. Let's continue. Verse 19 says, The Lord said to Moses, Tell Aaron, take your staff, stretch out your hand over the waters of Egypt, over the streams and canals, over the ponds and all the reservoirs, and they will turn to blood. Blood will be everywhere in Egypt, even in vessels of wood and stone. The fish in the Nile died. The river smelled so bad that the Egyptians could not drink its water. Blood was everywhere in Egypt. So we might think of just the Nile turning to blood. When I think of like the plagues and I've grown up learning this, uh, the Bible. But this is saying like every body of water you could imagine. Like if there's a pond, if there was a rainstorm and it left a little puddle, that also turned to blood. It said even like if you had gone and gotten a bucket of water yesterday, today, now it would be blood. But what's interesting is the word for that vessel, like the vessels of wood and stone, it can also mean idols of wood and stone. That God, perhaps, if there was any, any little bit of dew on the carven images of other gods, that also turned to blood. God was dominating. Yahweh was showing his power, his greatness. And he's doing this to not just get at Pharaoh's attention, but he wants the Egyptians to also know. The Egyptians were created in his image just as much as the Israelites, and he wants them to learn about him, Yahweh. 
the true God. Now, again, sorry, lost my little place. I want us to read the next section. But what I want us to also recall is that through this, through this, Yahweh is demonstrating a message. Because if you remember back in Exodus 1, we learned that a past Pharaoh, but still Egypt, still generations of Egypt living among people today, that they were tasked with destroying the Israelites in various ways. What was one of the ways they did so? Was that Pharaoh said, if a baby is born, if it's a girl, let it live. But if it's a boy, you must kill it. You must throw them in the waters of the Nile. That's water where they could drown or there's crocodiles there. So this sudden life-giving water, this beautiful Nile that we saw the pictures of, turning the blood is Yahweh reminding them that you took away life. You shed innocent blood of so many Israelites. And so now this is what you're faced with. When you go to the waters now, you're not going to smell life and vibrance. You're going to smell death. Because while blood inside our bodies is our life, outside of it, it is death. Let's read the end of this. It says, All the Egyptians dug along the Nile to get drinking water because they could not drink the water of the river. And seven days passed after the Lord struck the Nile. Do you see the grace here? God isn't like, you don't get water for seven days. He's like, they could still find water to drink. He's not making the, Israel, the Egyptians not have life-giving water. He's still providing life, but they're going to have to work for it. It's not going to be easy. They're going to see and smell the metaphor, and then they're going to have to dig. They're going to have to get their hands dirty. They're going to have to put some work into it to find the life-giving water but the Lord is still providing for them. Okay, let's head to plague number two. Verse, chapter eight, verse one. The Lord said to Moses, go to Pharaoh and say to him, this is what Yahweh says, let my people go so that they may worship me. And if you refuse them, I will send a plague of frogs on your whole country. The Nile will teem with frogs. They will come up into your palace, into your bedroom, onto your bed, into the houses of your officials, and on your people. On your people, guys. Do you feel that? On the people. And Aaron stretched out his hand over the waters of Egypt, and the frogs came up and covered the land. But the magicians did the same thing by their secret arts. They also made frogs come up on the land of Egypt. There's a play on words here because this says it's like teeming with frogs, right? Well, the, the past pharaoh wants degraded the people of Israel by saying they're growing in population so much that Egypt is teeming with all of these Israelites. So here God is like, here's some teeming for you. How about some frogs? And again, where do they come from? They come out of the river, this source of life again. It was death. Now it's chaos. The frogs came up and all of those sources that had turned to blood, they said they came out of canals and ponds, just anywhere you had water. It's now water again. It's not blood, but the frogs are coming. This isn't cute, cuddly, 
Muppet frogs, or frogs that could turn into princes. Like, you know, I'm okay with a frog, but like here, like arm's length frog seems fine to me, right? Like, I don't, I don't want them on me in their beds, in their beds, in their ovens, it says. Do you, like where you cook food, germaphobe, no thank you, no frogs there, please. Now, Pharaoh was also over it. Like this actually somehow really, really bothered him. And so here's what he did. Pharaoh summoned Moses and Aaron and said, pray to the Lord to take the frogs away from me and my people, and I'll let your people go. Offer sacrifices to Yahweh. Like he, I guess that was his point, right? Frogs were not his thing. Moses said to Pharaoh, I leave you the honor of setting the time for me to pray for you and your officials and your people that you and your houses may be rid of the frogs, except for those in the Nile. So like the ones that already lived in the Nile, they're allowed to stay. So, I leave you the honor of setting the time, Pharaoh says, tomorrow. Moses replied, it will be as you say, so that you may know there is no one like the Lord our God. The frogs will leave you and your houses, your officials and your people. Okay. Did you notice that word? Tomorrow. (laughs) Like, like if you ever go, like what people really want, right? Like you go to a protest. What do we want? Justice. When do we want it? Now. What do we want? No frogs. When do we want it? Tomorrow. Like, how stubborn can you be? He's like, "Mm, I kind of want your help, Yahweh, but I can handle it one more night. Like, I don't really need your help. I'm just asking because it looks good. Like, maybe tomorrow. But he is making these decisions for the entire country. Do you think they want frogs until tomorrow? Like, when something is bothering you, doesn't time seem to, like, expand for eternity? And I don't want additional hours of frogs in my ovens or my bed. How about you? So, Pharaoh, good job. Way to be a great leader there. You have already tortured Israel, and now you're torturing your own people. Okay, let's keep reading. Verse 12. After Moses and Aaron left Pharaoh... Moses cried out to the Lord about the frogs, and Yahweh did what Moses asked. The frogs died in the houses, in the courtyards, in the fields. They were piled into heaps, and the land reeked of them. But when Pharaoh saw that there was relief, he hardened his heart. It would not listen to Moses and Aaron, just as the Lord had said. Okay, this is funny and gross at the same time. But the frogs didn't just disappear. They just died. And, and now there's heaps, heaps of them. So you thought the live frogs in your bed were bad. What about a dead frog? Uh, you guys might recall, I'm not a fan of dead creatures. Uh, we were not in this church building for a year during quarantine. And I may have had to scoop up a dead pigeon that resided kind of back here behind the stage. And there's all sorts. I documented it. You can find it on my Instagram story archive. It's fine. But you can see, I was like, there's gloves. There's like, I don't want to feel the weight of a dead. I don't, I can't even imagine. Piles of dead creatures, guys. I know this is not all about me, but I'm sharing with you my feelings so you can feel your feelings and we can get through this together, okay? The last thing. Have you noticed twice? Two plagues. And what's a common denominator besides the river? Smell. I mean, if the Bible, 
for all of history is pointing out how bad Egypt must have reeked. You got blood, dead fish, and now dead frogs. Just, just, just sit in that for a moment. And we'll move on. Okay, this is part of the plague. The plague is torture. It says the plague can mean an irritation. These are great irritations. What do the Egyptians need to learn? Well, there was another god, a goddess. Her name is Heket, and she's often depicted as a frog. And she is the goddess of fertility. And she is said to help Egyptian women during childbirth. And that fertility was connected with the Nile River. Again, a message. You were told to kill the babies at childbirth. And now, the goddess that's supposed to help you, Egypt, has turned against you. Because Yahweh is greater than all gods. This is also me just wondering looking at already the work. They've had to dig for water. They've had to clean up heaps of frogs. So I feel like Egyptians are starting to get an idea of like, you know, cleaning up after other people, things being gross and smelly. Like, feels like what the slaves probably had to endure daily. So I'm thinking they're getting a picture of what Israel has experienced under their oppression for centuries. All right. Plague number three. You ready for some other gross stuff? Good job. Okay. The Lord said to Moses, tell Aaron, stretch out your staff and strike the dust of the ground. And throughout the land of Egypt, the dust will become gnats. They did this. And when Aaron stretched out his hand with the staff, struck the dust of the ground, gnats came on people and animals. All the dust throughout the land of Egypt became gnats. But when the magicians tried to produce gnats by their secret arts, they could not. Since the gnats were on people and animals everywhere, the magicians said to Pharaoh, this is the finger of God. But Pharaoh's heart was hard, and he would not listen, just as the Lord said. There's all kinds of interpretations about, you know, there's like a gnat that we know. Is it more like lice? Is it more like a tick? There's, there are lots of nuances of people trying to research this. I just know that I don't like bugs, so any bug is a bad bug to me. So we're going we're gonna to say gnats because we keep talking about it. But if you've seen gnats around, especially in the summer, um, you might see them like off in a distance, and then when the light hits, there's like a swarm. And that feels to me like, like the dust, right? If, like, if he's hitting the staff on the ground and this dust is coming up, that feels very gnat-like to me. And you think about Egypt. There's lots of dust. It feels like they're pretty covered in dust. So that's a lot of gnats. Now Yahweh, he's showing his signs and wonders. And the first two, the river of life turning into death, annoying frogs coming out of the river. Here, the very ground that they walk on is turning against them. So what does this signal to Israel? I think that they're thinking about maybe two things. First, in Genesis Yahweh created people out of dust. He can do amazing things with dust, and right now, he will take the things that he created with, and he can also bring pain with it, according to the signs he wants to do. And also, maybe the dust, maybe the dust makes Israel 
recall the hard work when they were making bricks by hand for all those amazing pyramids that still stand today hand making those bricks required digging digging in for clay you had to get past all the dust to dig deep and here the very ground that they've been toiling in was now turning back onto their slave masters we've seen this word magicians throughout the plagues magicians may give us a different mindset here it's not harry potter not even like the people that pull things like scarves and scarves and scarves. The, these were actually the high priests. They were involved in the worship because they did signs and wonders. It was called magic. But remember, we said that is the language of the Egyptian gods. They communicated with people through signs that they called magic. And these, these magicians were the ones drawing Pharaoh and others into worship of the gods. And at each time so far, they recreated blood. They've recreated frogs. Somehow they had those skills. But here it says, we can't do that. We can't figure out the gnats. We don't know how he's doing it. We can't imitate it. <laughs> Excuse me, I'm so sorry. <coughs> that was really bad, sorry. So the magicians are saying, they look at Pharaoh and they said, this is a, this is a God we don't know. This is a God we haven't encountered and cannot imitate. And that shows something. Isn't that what Yahweh was wanting to do? To do the big things. To draw people to know his name. All right, we're done with, we're done with things for the day. We'll get you some more gross stuff next week. Come back. Look good promo? Okay, next three plagues next week. But what we do every week in this series is we're like, okay, we read this story, and we may have heard of this story growing up. Uh, we may have heard of God and some plagues and sometimes it sounds strange but we want to look deep and say what is Yahweh saying because this is a God that we believe is still our God today same God and we want to learn something about what Yahweh is revealing to us what do we get how can we trust this God what characteristic is revealed through these pages this week I see Yahweh revealing, revealing that he's the creator of life and also the redeemer of death. That might seem strange because those seem like all bad things, right? But if you look at those plagues so far, we've got a river, we've got frogs and gnats. Those were like created in Genesis as good. Remember when, when God created the world and each section and each day was good. Those, those things were all meant to be good. But when sin came into the world, it didn't just affect humans. It wrecked nature. And Yahweh's like, too much of a good thing is bad. So he, he's allowed the bad to become evident in order to get some attention. But what was the point of allowing the bad? It's not just like out of anger. He is trying to bring justice, but he's doing so in an eye-opening way. If you remember, back in our introductory sermon, Steve gave us all this history of Egypt and Israel and how they were enemies, and yet we got to Isaiah 19, and I want us to read it again, because every plague goes back to this purpose. In Isaiah 19, we read, In that day there will be an altar to the Lord in the heart of Egypt, a monument to the Lord at its border. It will be a sign 
and witness to the Lord Almighty in the land of Egypt. When they cry out to Yahweh because of their oppressors, he will send them a savior, a defender. He will rescue them. But they're not talking about Israel this time. The Lord will make himself known to the Egyptians. And in that day, they will acknowledge Yahweh. They will worship with sacrifices. They will make vows to Yahweh and keep them. The Lord will strike Egypt with a plague. He will strike them and heal them. They will turn to Yahweh and he will respond to their pleas. The point of showing death at the Nile was to bring about life. Egypt is going to worship God one day. And this is his, he's introducing his name to them, showing his presence. He wants them to begin now because they are made in his image too. And Yahweh wants to redeem the stories of all of us, even our enemies. Jesus relates to all these things in Exodus as well because he was Yahweh living on earth as a human. And so we want to keep looking at how did his ministry and life reflect the same characteristics of Yahweh. Well, Jesus was a sustainer in a storm one time. He demonstrated that when something like the Nile for the Egyptians felt like a secure place, a provision, and when that place gets shaken, Jesus showed that he was the one people could turn to. In Luke 8, one day Jesus said to his disciples, let's go over to the other side of the lake. So they got into a boat, and as they sailed, he fell asleep. A squall came down on the lake, so the boat was being swamped, and they were in danger. The disciples went and woke him and said, Master, we're going to drown. Jesus got up, rebuked the wind and the raging waters. The storm subsided. All was calm. Where's your faith? He asked the disciples. In fear and amazement, they asked one another, Who is this? He commands even the winds and the water, and they obey him. The disciples, their, their faith is not even fully formed yet. They're, they're not even sure who he is yet. And they knew to go wake him because they knew he had some sort of safety. And when the lake, which is where they fished, it's where they dwelled by, that was their safe place, their provision. And yet when it was disrupted, they turned and found Jesus. Jesus had control over the water just the way Yahweh demonstrated in Exodus, has control over that water. Same God. So let's stand at the edge of the water today, and what do we see? Well, when the Nile was disrupted, when that safe, happy, secure place was in turmoil, Pharaoh said, I want help tomorrow. And then he still changed his mind. But here, when Jesus was on the lake, and the disciples felt the disruption in their lives. They didn't know even what to believe, but they knew who to turn to. And so as we close today, I just want us to think about what happens when our security gets shaken. We've got two responses here today. And do we relate to either one of those? Pharaoh, a little bit stubborn. Disciples, unsure but going in the right place. 
The good news is that our faith doesn't have to be fully formed in order for us to find help from Yahweh. You don't have to know everything. You don't have to fully grasp or fully know who God is to get help, to go find security in Yahweh. You know, a lot of stuff, a lot of stuff has gone on in the past, like, you know, three years especially, probably shaken all of us in different ways, probably felt a little bit of our foundation unsettled. Maybe it's in relationships we had or systems we trusted in. There's just all kinds of things that just feel untrustworthy. And where do we go when that happens? And I have to say that I've seen a lot of people that I care about who they've headed out. And they're like, I don't know what to do, so I'm just leaving it all. And it hurts me to watch them walk away from their faith and walk away from God at the same time. But, I mean, at times I can, I can get that feeling. I understand. Yahweh, is he safe? Can he be trusted? And when, when all the things get shaken, I try to like logic my way through it. And I remind myself of different things, different truths that I know. Yes, God allows certain things, not actively to harm us, but God allows free will. And people choose really bad things sometimes. Yet also, Yahweh always says that justice will arise. It may not be our timing. It may not be the timeline we set out for or the way we wanted, the, the, the picture we would craft. But yet, that's that grace that God even wants oppressors to find healing. Yahweh strikes down oppression, but the punishment is meant for redemption. I also confront the truth that all humans we all act like oppressors at times. In big and small decisions, we each have had something in our past where we have destroyed the image of someone made to look like Yahweh. And we're going to have to feel the results of that chaos at times, the chaos we created. But we're still allowed, we're still called to, we're still wanted by Yahweh to turn to him to say, can you reorder it? It... I broke it. Can you fix it? And he does. At other times, I, I go through all those, those truths and I repeat them and then I still, I still get overwhelmed and I'm frustrated or scared. But still, that's when I lean into this, this thing I can't shake. I can't, I can't shake the fact that the things that are hurting me, that break my heart in this moment, are that Yahweh feels that too. We reread last week about Jesus weeping. He hurts with us. And I can't unknow that compassion now. I have learned about it from Jesus. I have seen it in other people's lives. I have experienced it, and I can't, I can't let that go. That's just holding on to my heart, even when it doesn't make sense out here. There's something here. And when evil brings destruction, I know Jesus wants to bring healing. I know that. I just, I just believe it. And 
I feel like you all believe it too. That you're here and it doesn't mean that life is easy. There is probably some sort of chaos in some area of your life right now. A storm that feels awful, that is confusing. Relationships that have just shattered and you don't know what to do next. And yet, you haven't run yet. You're still here. And you may feel like it's broken around you, but Jesus is a God that wants you to survive it. And you woke up today, and I hope you found a tiny bit of faith to take one step forward. And that you'll wake again and take one step more tomorrow. Thank you for having faith in Jesus. Because it matters. Not just to you, but to all of us as a community. To some people you don't even know. You holding on in your storm matters. Holding on to Jesus. It gives us all strength. Jesus is the same Yahweh who struck down oppressors in Egypt to bring justice for his people and healing even to the Egyptians. Jesus is the same Yahweh who wants justice and healing for us. That's why Jesus died on the cross, to take on justice and healing for all of us. And he defeated death and rose again so that evil didn't win because evil doesn't get the last word. When everything is shaken, it's not the end. Jesus is the sustainer in the storm. And I put a bunch of S's to be helpful to remember. But it's true. He says, I'm going to hold on to you, even when you feel like you don't have the strength to hold on to him. And he defeats evil. We remember it. Every week, we end with a meal because we don't want to forget. And we can sit and listen. There's also a tangible way. You can, you can taste. You can smell. You can feel. There's bread and there's juice. And we're supposed to just remember that this meal is about death, but it's about life. Just like the river. It can give us a perspective of death on a cross to bring justice, and it's also life eternal for us. So we're going to conclude our time with a meal. And after I pray, if you'd like to come down and join us for that, we're going to have friends on either side serving. And just take this back to your seat and reflect on the death and the life that Jesus, Yahweh, gives to us. Will you pray with me? Yahweh, Lord God, thank you for being the creator of life, the sustainer of life, redeeming death, and bringing healing to us. Thank you for showing us throughout time that you are the same God who cares when we're oppressed, and you care for us to heal from the oppression we have done to others. Thank you for giving us life and hope when everything around us feels shaken.
We come to you even when we don't fully grasp or understand all your ways. We come to you. Thank you for receiving us. Amen. Thank you for the gift of your attention today. If you ever want to join Echo Church in person, we meet on Sundays at 10.30 a.m. You'll find us at 1301 East McMillan Street. That's in the Walnut Hills neighborhood of Cincinnati, Ohio, just up the street from our city's beautiful Eden Park. Find out more about us on our website, echochurch.org. Have a great week.